0: Amen. What a blessing. If you get a chance before you leave this morning, uh, say hi to Mikola. Just such a blessing to have him here. It's a great privilege. These are the heroes of the faith, um, serving in difficult and hard places, often getting very little recognition. Uh, You connect with him if you can. Please make it a point to pray for him. We'll continue to update you. And and again, as Pastor Jim said, thank you for your generosity. Because you give, we're able to give to others. And and as the Lord continues to supply and bless, we're going to continue to give. And uh, but thank you so much for your faithfulness. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open them to 2 Samuel chapter 11. It feels like it's been a year since we've been in 2 Samuel chapter 11. we know known this chapter is coming. I hope you read ahead. That's the beauty of just working our way through scripture. You know what's coming. Um, I've been dreading this. I got sick to try to avoid it, um, but it, it's, uh, it's still here. I want to thank Pastor Kelly for filling in for me last week. Pretty sick and grateful. i come through that, feeling great now. God's good. And, And uh, grateful to be back with you this morning as you're finding your place I do want to welcome uh, Reach Church Paola I was able to go down to Reach Church Paola this past week and participate in their uh, Discover LBC class and they got a lot of folks um, uh, joining up with with that church and and so Reach Church Paola we're with you we're excited for you pray you're having a great day and and um, and look forward to being down there more often if you get a chance I would encourage you to go down there one Sunday you'll be blessed by worshiping with them what God's doing there and also want to welcome Reach Church DeSoto and, and the venue service right down the hall. Well, we come to this passage, and uh, man, it's a difficult text. Uh, uh, I come to this, and, and uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, I've had a lot of time to study this, a lot of time to meditate on this chapter, and the more I've studied it, the more uh, I just kind of get sick at my stomach. I mean, it's just unbelievable we, we come to this passage, in fact, one of the commentators, uh, he said, I've had this quote, I, I wrote it down. He said, this, this chapter should make the hair on, the, on our arms stand on their end. That, that, if, that if what happens in this chapter, if this could happen to David, the man after God's own heart, the, the great worship leader of Israel, the guy who wrote the vast majority, of the longest book in the Bible, the great worship book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, the, the, the man upon whose throne the Messiah will sit. This is the man against whom all other kings are going to be judged. This is going to say they either walked in the, in, the, in the path of their father David or they did not walk in the, the, the path of their father David. This is the, this is the great king of Israel. Folks, if this, if this could happen to David, then what's going to become of us? No one's exempt. That's the great lesson of this, of this chapter. And this is a warning. This chapter, I love this about God's Word. It speaks to the divine nature of God's Word. Because in our day and age, this story would have never made the light of day, What In the day of cover-ups, and great leaders just covered all up. Guess what God does? We're going to put this story right here. And it is told in every gory detail. Why? Why? Because God wants to warn us. As I was studying this, uh, uh, this uh, two weeks ago, that I was in my office and out in the parking lot, a car alarm went off in the back parking lot, and that alarm was going, wah, 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 and I'm trying to study, and I'm like, somebody turn that thing off. But it was as if God hit me and said, that's what this chapter does. It's, it's that warning. Wah, wah, wah. This could happen to you. But by the grace of God, there go I. Let he who stands take heed, lest he fall. This is here to remind us that this is what happens to man when he's left to his own devices. This is what we devolve into. So with that sobering thought, let's pray together. We'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in it this morning, with all these verses to cover, I pray that you would bring the, the clear principles of this passage to the forefront of our thoughts and our minds. Make the principles clear and help us, Lord, not to just be students of the word this morning. Help us not to just be hearers, but help us to be doers. God, we're not here for information. We want to be changed. So, Lord, speak to us, convict us, challenge us, draw us unto yourself that we might live unto you and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look with me at verse 1, chapter 11. It says, Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. So then it happened. Here it is. So springtime. Springtime is when battles would resume. Wintertime was a difficult time, harsh climate. So a lot of the battles would... would would be postponed in the midst of of wintertime, but when spring would come back up then 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 the wars would be resumed and you remember they had pushed the ammonites out but they haven't defeated them and so uh david uh, they he sends Joab they resume the battle and yet David stays at home it's interesting what you see here i I think what you begin to see is a pattern in david's life remember where we're at you remember this is uh, it would have been a while since we've been in Samuel. But David has, has been established as king over Israel. After all the running and all the difficulty, he's finally been established as king. He's united the nation together. They have uh, defeated the Jebusites. They've taken Jerusalem. They've established it as the capital city. They put the ark of God as the focal point of worship in the, in the city and in the nation. We're worshiping God. We defeated the, the Philistines. We pushed them back. It's a season of great success. It's a season of great victory. And listen to me, oftentimes when you're on the mountaintop of success, you are most susceptible to the valley of defeat. David gets what I would call fat cat syndrome. He's made it. He's arrived. He's reached a new spiritual plane. And so now that I've reached this spiritual plane, I can let my guard down and begin to coast a little bit in my life. Whereas in previous years, in the earlier portion of his reign, if there were any battle, where would David be? He'd be on the front line of battle. He'd be right there in the thick of the battle, leading his guys. But now we've already seen in chapter 10, when they began this war with the Ammonites, david sent joab and stayed at home and again it's springtime and david sent joab and he stayed at home he's somewhere he should not be and he's going to do some things he shouldn't be doing with people he shouldn't be doing it he's grown lax in his responsibilities See, as I read this chapter, I don't think it's one day, boy, David was walking with God and he was faithful in his responsibilities and he was faithfully seeking the Lord and all of a sudden he just tripped into idolatry. No, 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 no. I think you're seeing a pattern in David's life where he's grown lax in his faithfulness to God He's letting his guard down more and more. He's giving an open door to sin and temptation. And when the temptation arises, because he's not fed his spirit, and he's fed his flesh, it's going to be overcome. It's going to overcome him, and he's going to lead him into sin. See, a passage, a verse that's been in my mind over and over again as I've been studying this is Galatians 6, verse 7. In that passage, it says, do not be deceived. Paul says, don't be, don't be duped. There's a law. He says, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. He who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. See, the fact of the matter is, every day you're sowing in one of two fields. You're either sowing under your Spirit or you're sowing under the flesh. And listen, you start sowing under your flesh, and you stop sowing to the Spirit, and you let your guard down, you you feed your fleshly desires, boy, you are in grave danger. And so David, in a season of success and victory, has grown complacent, he's grown lax in his responsibilities, and he's given an open door to the enemy to work in his life. Well, look at what it says in verse 2. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David stayed home, and uh, he gets up, he's bored, got nothing to do, can't sleep, goes and begins to walk on his roof, and he saw with his eyes... Uh, He takes a look and then he's going to begin to contemplate in his mind. Uh, We're going to talk about this a little bit more, but whenever sin presents itself in your life, when is the best time to deal with it? Immediately. It's the Barney Five method of dealing with sin. Nip it in the bud. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch Andy Griffith's show. God bless you. Go read, watch. Nip it in the bud. The moment sin comes up in your life, you run. You deal with it. And David here, he's wandering around and he looks and he sees. And what he sees with his eyes will become a thought in his mind and a motivation in his heart is going to lead to a sinful action that's going to bear fruit of destruction in his life. And I want you to understand something. The more I studied this and looked into this, I think we have to put out of our minds kind of the Hollywood pictures of this because there's nothing, as I have studied that there's nothing that indicates that Bathsheba is some kind of seductress in the midst of this story. So don't picture some woman bathing and flaunting herself out in front of every everybody trying to gain the attention of David or any other man. That doesn't seem to be the picture here. This is a woman who's, participating in a ceremonial cleansing that would have been her act of faithfulness in her devotion to holiness. And she's probably doing it, as many commentators said, in the evening so as to not be noticed and doing it under the cover of night and on her rooftop so she's not noticed by anybody. She's trying to be faithful unto God. We, we title this story uh, David and Bathsheba, but it's not about Bathsheba. It's about David and his sin. David will look with his eyes He'll begin to contemplate in his mind and in every step of the way God gives him an out First Corinthians 10 13, what does it say? No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man and God is faithful He'll pro- always provide a way of escape so that you may stand up underneath the temptation in fact, uh, James, uh, what does what James say in James chapter 1? Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. God will not be mocked. You so your flesh. You're going to reap death. Here is David. The warning signs are there, and he keeps taking another step. What does it say in verse 3? So David sent and inquired about the woman, and and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David takes it a step further. He's looked with his eyes. He's contemplated with his mind. There's lust in his heart. He inquires about the woman. He makes an inquiry. And the picture here that I think is here is that the the servant is trying to warn David. He's trying to shake David and get him to see that what he's doing is wrong. So the servant says to David, this is Eliam's daughter. Now, who is Eliam? If you read on further, we'll get there in 2 Samuel 23, you find out Eliam is one of David's mighty men. This is one of David's close comrades in arms. This is a man who was faithful unto God. This is a mighty warrior, faithful unto God. And so the servant says, David, that's Eliam's daughter. Men, you start looking at a woman, remember this, that's somebody's daughter. And so his servant saying, David, you better wake up, this is Eliam's daughter, You w- don't do this. Not only is Eliam's daughter, it's Uriah the Hittite's wife. Now Uriah, say Samuel 23, he's also one of David's mighty men. Then not only that, but Uriah was a Hittite. He's a Gentile who is evidently converted uh, to worship of Jehovah God, the one true God of Israel. And he's so faithful, he becomes a part of David's mighty men, and he's evidently so faithful that Eliam says to one day, he's out there in the field with with, uh, Uriah, maybe uh, uh, practicing for military strategy or doing whatever they're doing, and he looks over at uh, 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 Uriah and says, Hey, I'd like for you to meet my daughter. You're the kind of guy that I'd like my daughter to marry. That's pretty special, isn't it? He's a Gentile. He says, I'd like you to meet my daughter. In other words, these are two faithful men. In fact, Eliam, do you know who Eliam's dad is? Eliam's dad is Ahithophel. And who is Ahithophel? Ahithophel is the great counselor. He's an elder in the nation, and he's a counselor unto David. This woman's got great godly lineage. And in fact, Ahithophel later on, Absalom's going to lead a coup against his dad. And guess who's going to go with Absalom? Ahithophel. You think Ahithophel finds out what goes on here? And how many of you grandpas, you you got a granddaughter? And some man violates your granddaughter. Ed, dead. So, David, wake up, buddy. Is David going to heed the warning? Listen to me. Sin will make you stupid. Sin will make you dumb. Yeah, I was trying to think of illustrations. I did use this one yet, but it's probably a bad illustration, but I'll use it on this 11 o'clock service. <laughs> you know, you think, of, you think of fish. I like to fish I haven't been fishing in a long time. The fish gotta be some of the dumbest animals in the world. We take those lures, do those things even look real? Don't you think some little fish the mama fish is like, now someday, someday you're gonna be out there and you're gonna see one of these big shiny deals floating in the water. Don't go biting on that thing. Cause it will hook you. A little fish out there and says, mama told me about this, but it looks so shiny. And they take a bite, and down they go. Listen, all throughout this, it's blaring the warning signs. You better stay alert, because sin will make you do stupid things. This is the guy. David is going to set his face against God. This is the guy who, when Goliath comes against God, what does David say? You don't come against God. And yet here, David is going to set his face again. He's going to mock God that I can do whatever I want to do, and I can get away with it. So he sent, and he inquired. They tell him who she is. Well, he doesn't stop, does he? Verse 4, David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The way it's written, folks, it's not pretty. I mean, th- there is no, there's no affection here. Th- this is the guy who showed kindness to Mephibosheth. Amazing kindness to Mephibosheth. This is a guy who showed kindness to the king of Ammon after his father had died, although the kindness wasn't reciprocated. This is a guy who's shown kindness in every instance. And here, it's cold, it's dark. Notice those verbs. He sent. He took, he lay, she returned. He did his deed and then just went on his way. There was no affection here. There's no taking her out on the town. There's no nice dinner. There's no words of affection here. He didn't even say her name. He just does what he wants to do in his fleshly desires and sends her on his way and probably thinks I've gotten away with it nobody's seen I can do whatever I want to do he set his face against God but listen to me God will not be mocked so what does it say in the next verse verse 5 the woman conceived and she sent and told David and said I am only words you get from Bathsheba in the whole chapter it's interesting why didn't she tell Uriah you know what I think? We don't really know. I think David told her you don't tell anybody. You keep your mouth shut. I think she also knows what this would do to the nation. She knows who, David. She knows David's a king. She sends word to David. David, I'm pregnant. What should David have done? He should have stepped up right here and said, "I've sinned. I've made a mistake. And you say, would there be a consequence? You bet, you read the law, it's pretty severe consequences for men who engage in this kind of activity. But you remember, this is a guy who previously in his life was faithful to God even when his life was on the line. But now in the midst of his sin and his calloused heart, he starts doing things he would have never done otherwise. David's gonna begin a cover up. He's not going to confess. He's just going to cover it up. All throughout this chapter, you see David sent, David sent, David sent. He's in control. He's he's, he's Fat cat syndrome. I'm just running it all. Ain't nobody bigger than me. Look at all I've done. In fact, when he was out on that rooftop, the picture that I have in my mind is Satan leaned over and said, David, you the man. You the man. Can a person in a position of power authority get to a place where they think the rules don't apply to them? So could David. Look at what he does. He's going to cover up. Verse 6, then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. He's going to be in league with who? Joab. Is Joab a moral man? No. This is a guy who killed Abner in cold blood. This is not a moral man. He's a great warrior, great commander of battle, but not a moral man. It's interesting to me. When you start engaging in sinful activity, you will tend to put yourself not around people who would hold you accountable, but you'd start to put yourself around other immoral people who make you feel good about your sin and who will tell you what you want to hear. So David is going to get in league with Job, him and him and Joab become buddies in the midst of his sin because he knows Joab will help him out and cover him up. So he sends to get Uriah, Joab sends Uriah. Do you wonder what Joab's thinking? Why does he want Uriah? Send Uriah, and Uriah's probably wondering, why does the king want to talk to me? Some Hittite. But Uriah comes, in verse seven, when Uriah came, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people and the state of the war. David, this is small talk. He don't care anything about that stuff. Verse 8, then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent out after him. David is trusting that that, that Uriah, he's been out in the field of battle for some time. He hadn't seen his wife in a long time. He's trusting that he'll go, he'll sleep with his wife, then They'll uh, end up getting pregnant, and, uh, you know, she already is pregnant, but uh, they'll come out, and then you'll have this this little boy, and he's not going to look much like a Hittite. He's going to look like a ruddy little Israel boy, but we'll be able to cover that up, and maybe nobody will notice, and we'll just be able to go on our way. We'll just cover this deal up. But God is in the midst of this, isn't he? God's not going to let David get off that easy. Verse 9, Uriah slept at the door of the king's house and all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. What you're going to see continually throughout this is Uriah the servant is more faithful than David the king. Uriah the Gentile convert is more faithful than David the king of Israel. Verse 10, now when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Listen to what Uriah says, because this I know it cut David to the heart. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. He says, David, when God's people are out fighting a battle, faithful unto the Lord for his purposes on his mission, I'm not going to go home in a life of comfort and sleep with my wife. I'm going to be faithful unto God. What should David have been doing? everything Uriah said is what David should have been doing David should have been on the front lines of battle with his men faithful unto God accomplishing the purposes of God and instead he stayed home in a life of comfort and he slept with another man's wife and I think the words of Uriah cut him to the heart and David at this time realizes I don't know what I'm gonna do this man is faithful but maybe if I get him drunk so here was, here's plan B. Plan A didn't work. Let's plan, plan B, Twelve verse 12. Then David said, Uriah, stay here today also, and tomorrow I'll let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Verse 13, now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie in his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. The guy's still faithful. Uriah drunk is more faithful than David sober. It's amazing to me, Uriah, you want a good name for your son, name him Uriah. This guy is faithful. His name means the light of Yahweh. Isn't that good? I don't know what his Hittite name was, but when he came to faith in God and trusting Jehovah, he took the name the light of Jehovah. And Uriah will be faithful Even to the point of death and he will die not for his sin He'll die for the sin of another does that sound like somebody else we know Uriah points us to Christ David who's supposed to be the man pointing us to Jesus is unfaithful and yet Uriah will be faithful It's so amazing man. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but David Uriah will send him out or your, David will send Uriah out, out into battle, and he's gonna to say to Joab, let your men withdraw from him and let him die. If you're out in battle and you're fighting in an intense part of the battle and all your buddies start running, what would a normal person do? They'd run too. Do you wanna know what kind of man Uriah is? Uriah is the kind of man when he fights, who fights when he's all alone. Who will not back down who will be faithful to his king be faithful to his nation and be faithful to God even if it costs him his life and his name means the light of God I like that Uriah name some boys all right I want to do some baby dedications of some Uriah's I promise you call them for dinner they'll be the only ones coming not many Uriah's (laughs) out there Now look at what it says. Verse 14, now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written a letter saying, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So it was as Joab kept watch on the city that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. So other men are gonna die. There's collateral damage. Throughout this you see, listen, when you sin, it doesn't just affect you. It affects other people. There's always collateral damage. Look at what it says in verse 18. Then Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war, he charged the messenger, saying, when you have finished telling all the events of the war of the king, and if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech, the son of Jerobesheth? Did not a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall, so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Now we got code language. Verse 22, so the messenger departed and came and reported to David all that Joab had had sent to him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men prevailed against us and came out against us in the field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance of the gate. Moreover, the archers shot at your servants from the wall, so some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Now, what's interesting about this, in other situations, we have seen messengers bring news to King David of men who have died in the field of battle, and what was David's typical response? Not good. He was grieved, he was hurt, and the messenger, who thought he was bringing good news, ended up dying. But David here, in the midst of his sin, listen to how he responds. Verse 25, then David said to the messengers, thus you shall say say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it, and so encourage him. You know what David says? It's no big deal. The messenger comes and says, a bunch of men died in battle, and Uriah the Hittite, your servant, he died too. Well, I guess that's what happens. People die in war. Man, you talk about a deranged individual whose heart has been calloused by sin. To the extent that men dying is just just part of war, no big deal. Well, look at what it says next. In verse 26, now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Bathsheba's been caught up in this deal. David stayed home, and if he's going to stay home, he should have been the man, the man who's protecting the wives of the soldiers who are being faithful and putting their life on the line. This is the guy who's supposed to be the shepherd of the nation. He's no longer a shepherd, he's a predator. He's become a wolf. He's a creep. And he doesn't care. You want to talk about a sad picture, imagine imagine Uriah's funeral. Just picture it in my mind. You pictured Uriah's got some good buddies, soldiers, fellow soldiers that fought with him. Don't you think they're there? Thinking, man, that guy was a faithful guy. And Eliam is there, and he's thinking, man, I love my son-in-law. That guy was faithful. And Ahithophel's there and saying, man, my grandson-in-law, that guy, I'm so proud of him. And Bathsheba's grieving. And where's David? Probably in the back of the room somewhere, thinking it's all working out just like I planned. Ain't nobody going to say anything. Bathsheba's not going to say anything. Joab's not going to say anything. And The only guy who might have said something's dead. Look at what it says next. Verse 27, when the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife, and then she bore him a son. This, to me, is about as, I mean, just when you think it can't get worse. David has committed adultery and murder cold-blooded adultery and murder. And now, now he sets himself up as the good guy. Because what happens is Bathsheba's got no husband. And typically what would happen is if, you're, you're, uh, if a woman became a widow her husband's brother would become responsible to take care of her, but it appears Uriah, the Hittite, didn't either have a brother or when he converted to Judaism, his brother or his family didn't go with him. And so there's nobody there to take care of Bathsheba. And guess what David does? Well, I'll, you know, kind, benevolent king that I am, she can come over and stay with me, I guess. And everybody, wow, David, boy, you are so generous. Yeah, yeah, I'm just a kind, benevolent guy. But David, she doesn't have any children. Well, I guess I can give it the old college try. (laughs) See if we can't have some kids. Oh, David, you're so benevolent. And you get to this part of the story and you think he got away with it. I mean, we read these stories so much, we're so accustomed to it. But if you're reading this for the first time, you get to that point. If you stop it right there, you think, my goodness, the guy's committed adultery and murder. And he's he's had his cake and he's eaten it too. But that's not the end, is it? Look at the very last phrase in verse 27. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. In other words, God was watching. You don't see God's name anywhere in the chapter. David's not praying. David's not studying the law. He's not seeking after God. He's following his own fleshly lusts. He's sowing unto his flesh, and it looks like he's getting away with it. It looks like nothing's happening. The very end says the Lord would not please with this. And throughout the story, David is large and in charge. He's directed, he's sent, he's sent, he's sent, he's in control. Fat cat, man, he's got the big office, He's got, he's in control, everybody just does what he wants. He's in charge, he's sent, he's sent, he's sent. Look at chapter 12, verse 1, look at chapter 12, verse 1. What does it say there? Then the Lord sent. I think God's been up in heaven just watching, you know. And finally, God says, "Um, David, you've been directing, but now i got something to say about this. And David will enter into, admittedly, the worst season of his life. Because, listen to me this morning, God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. You reap under your flesh, you're going, you sow under your flesh, you're going to reap corruption and eventual death. So what's the lessons here? Let me just give you a few right as we close. All right, you're thinking now, I've been flying you though. Know, they tell you to put your table in an upright and locked position and you think, we're getting close. And you find out you've got another 30 minutes, all right? So we're not there yet. Put your tray table up, but we're not done, all right? Hang in with me. The first thing, first lesson, no one is exempt. No one is exempt. If this can happen to David, I know, so well, well, we're in the New Testament now. Listen, yeah, you just keep right on thinking that. Let he who stands take heed lest he falls. You say, oh, that'll never happen to me. You just jump to the front of the line, buddy. God opposes the proud. God's not neutral with proud people. You think you can do it on your own? You think you're good, too good for that? Can God humble a man like that? Oh, he can bring him down real fast. Let he who stands take heed lest he, he fall. It's amazing to me today that the, 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 the naivety with which we deal with so many sinful activities as I was studying this the fact of the matter is today the activity that David engaged in that that activity today in our culture in our world not only is that activity tolerated in many places it's celebrated and I'm afraid that in far too many ways That kind of mentality has crept its way into the church and we start to become very flippant with issues of sexual immorality. And listen to me, you mess around with sexual immorality, you are walking next to the edge of an abyss and God will not be mocked. Do you know what Satan, one of his great tactics is to take good things that God has given to us and get us to take them in times and ways that god forbids is sex a good thing beautiful wonderful in the confines of marriage outside of marriage it is an abomination to god and yet somehow some way we've got a whole culture of people and i'm telling you it has crept its way into the church that it's not that big of a deal that I can engage in that kind of behavior and do whatever I want to do and get away with it. Listen to me. God will not be mocked. You may think you're getting away with it. You may think that there's no immediate consequences, so God must be okay with it. But you sow under your flesh. You're going to reap a harvest of corruption. A lot of Men and women out there, they're sowing their wild oats and they're praying for crop failure. And it's the law of the harvest. People out there are sowing potatoes and hoping to get tomatoes. And it don't work that way. No one's exempt. Number two, God is watching. Beat this horse sufficiently, haven't I? God is watching. You thumb your nose at God in a dangerous spot. You ever heard this? You sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. This is what's so scary about this. This whole deal starts with an innocent glance on a rooftop. You remember that little childhood? Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For your Father up above is looking down with love. Be careful, little feet, where you go. God is watching. Thirdly, what do we do to deal with temptation? Three things, three things, I promise. We're almost, put that table up, almost, we're almost there. Just really quickly, how do you deal with temptation? Number one, you deal with it immediately. I said it earlier, you nip it in the bud. Compare this, 2 Samuel 11, compare it to Genesis 39 with Joseph. What did Joseph do? When temptation was presented to himself. So we all have fleshly desires and lusts. The danger is when your fleshly desires and lusts are presented with an opportunity. Now you got a problem. I mean, see, I I love eating ice cream. If faith buys ice cream, I'm in trouble because now temptation has met opportunity and I'm going to eat. Temptation, opportunity. When it was presented to Joseph, what did he do? He ran for the hills. Don't mess around with it Don't linger there Don't begin to let it ruminate in your mind Because you have a fleshly lust That you're waging war against And you feed that flesh It will overtake you and lead you into sin You guys realize this You, you and I through faith in Jesus Christ Sin no longer reigns in our lives But it does remain, amen And you're going to struggle with your sinful flesh Until you meet Jesus face to face And you let your guard down You start messing around with sin It will take you out Deal with it immediately, deal with it ruthlessly. That's what Jesus said in chapter five, what did he say? If your right eye causes you to stumble, what do you do? Plug it out. That sounds pretty extreme, doesn't it? It's meant to be extreme. Better enter heaven with one eye than to hell with both. It simply means this. All of us have our stuff. I don't know what your stuff is. But you better, you better know what you're capable of, and you better put up some safeguards in your life, and whatever precautions you have to take, do it. It's not worth it. Whatever it is, cut it out. Be ruthless in your relationship to sin. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, uh, I was reminded of this quote from him. He said that I, Robert Murray McShane, Uh, Has the Bible reading plans that are amazing if you ever used his Bible reading plans. The guy was an amazing man of God Listen, this is what he said. I am convinced That the seed of every evil deed known to man dwells within my heart (sighs) Do you know what you're capable of doing today? See, knowing what we're capable of causes us to put up the safeguard, doesn't it? So you deal with it immediately, you deal with it ruthlessly, and then finally, you deal with it consistently. There's no seasons where you can coast. Every day, you better get up, you better run to God, you better run to his word, you better pray, you better seek him, you better be filled with the spirit, meaning you've got to feed your, your, your spirit and starve the flesh, Feed your spirit, starve the flesh. That's why for me, scripture memorization is so important because I try not to let my mind remain idle. And if I'm memorizing scripture, I've always got a scripture in my mind and I can meditate on that and I can feed my spirit rather than my flesh because I know my flesh. Final two things number one, Christ is the only hero. This story reminds us, boy, we get enamored with David. Boy, David is awesome. He's wonderful. He's great. He points us to Jesus in so many ways. But this story is here to remind us there's only one hero of Scripture, and his name is Jesus. You get get real excited about Abraham, and then you find the guy lying like a rug. (laughs) Still lying about his wife every time he gets a chance. Guess what you know? Abraham's a sinner. You get excited about Noah. Next thing you know, he's drunk and naked in a tent. You get excited about Moses. You find out he killed somebody. You get excited about Peter, and guess what? He denies Christ in the presence of a servant girl. There is only one hero of Scripture. There's only one great king. The first great king, Adam, he fell in the garden. This next great king, David, he fell right here. But the the last king, the final king, The final Adam, the greater David, he will be tempted. You remember he gets baptized, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. God speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit led him out in the wilderness to be what? Tempted. But he was faithful. And he would be faithful unto death and he'd die on a cross for our sins. And listen, he's our only hero and he's our only way to overcome sin. Every one of you got a sinful flesh. Just like Paul, you want to do a neat study? Romans chapter 7. I'm studying in ahead for Romans. It's so much fun. Paul in Romans chapter 7, you know what he says? The evil I don't want to do, I do. He said, I don't even understand what I'm doing. I love it. It's just so it's blatant honesty with Paul. I don't even understand what I'm doing. That what I don't want to do, I do. What I want to do, I don't do. It always causes me to say, What's well, Paul, what were you doing? Inquiring minds want to know, what what were you doing? It doesn't tell us. You know why it doesn't tell us? Because Scripture wants us to know we can put our own stuff in there. Because we've all been there. You ever been there say, I don't want to do it, but I keep doing it. What's wrong with me? I don't understand my activity. And you know, it gets to the end of chapter seven and Paul says, who will, uh, wretched, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? And then what does it say? But thanks be to God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it leads into the greatest chapter in all of God's word. Where he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do because it wasn't flesh. God did sin his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh is an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the flesh. But according to the spirit. You know what that says? <laughs> really fast. That says the spirit... Enables you to say no to sin and yes to God, but you better feed your spirit or your flesh will win Because just because you come to know the Christ doesn't know doesn't mean that the desires go away Jesus is our only hope. He's our only safeguard. He's your only safe haven and here's the best news today best news of all save the best for last promise you this is it God forgives What kind of love is this? I look at this and I say, God, how could you forgive him? You know what God says? I could say the same thing about you. You know, we studied Saul, and we give Saul such a hard time. But the fact of the matter is, as much as I studied Saul, he didn't do anything compared to this. What made the difference? I'll tell you what made the difference. David, when finally confronted with his sin, was pierced to his heart, and he turned to God in repentance and faith. He wrote Psalm 51 be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Hold, I was brought forth in iniquity, of sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. He's been a liar. God, I know you desire truth. In the innermost being in the hidden part, you'll make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. Did David have any peace in this? Never, not once. Make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my... Sins and, and blot out all my iniquities. Created in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me. You know the one thing David did when he was in his sin? He said, God, I can lose everything. I can't lose you. When we sin, we separate ourselves from God. David says, don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And then I'll teach transgressors your way, and sinners will be converted to you. And God forgave him. Were there consequences? You bet there were consequences. They're going to pay the consequences. You can, you can make the argument that David's sins are the most consequential sin outside of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. All kinds of consequences. But you know the beauty of it? God walked with him through all those consequences. And he finally had a clear conscience before the God. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're here and you have a guilty conscience. You have no peace because you've wandered from God. You've engaged in behavior you never thought you would engage in. I'm telling you today, today can be the day of salvation for you. Today can be the day of repentance. And God will restore you, he will forgive you. And whatever consequences you face, he'll walk with you through them. God has all kinds of ways of dealing with your consequences. But the number one priority of your life must be to turn back to God in repentance. And he will embrace you and you will know the blessing of a clear conscience you can't put a price tag on a clear conscience can you to lay your head on the pillow at night knowing you're not perfect but you're honest and it's out there and i'm walking with god Father, we thank you for your word today that speaks so plainly to us about sin and how you feel about sin. What David did was evil in your sight. God, I pray for the one who has, is walking in sin and disobedience today, and maybe they've convinced themselves it's not that bad. Maybe they've convinced themselves that you don't really care. God, I pray that they would see primarily what their sin does to you. Not, not even primarily how it hurts other people. Not even primarily how it hurts themselves. But they would say, as Joseph said in that episode in in Genesis 39, when he said, how could I do this thing and sin against my God? It was David who said, against you and you only have I sinned. I pray, Lord, that they would begin to see the depth of their sin and how it hurts your heart. But I pray also that they would see how much you love them. And the solution that you provided in Jesus Christ. And I pray, I pray that your kindness would overwhelm them. Your kindness leads us to repentance. I pray today they would run to you and know your forgiveness. Know your freedom. Know the blessing of a clear conscience. You don't expect us to be clean. You just expect us to be honest. To own up to our sin. Lord, I pray that they would come to you. They would run to you and know your grace and your forgiveness today. Lord, we love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.